0: Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Uh, So today we're going to continue our conversation around the importance and the value drivers behind creating a culture for your business and an environment where your employees are engaged. And we're really excited to welcome back Brent Robinson. Brent, there was a lot to talk about, unpack. I mean, we probably got to talk for hours about this subject. It is an area that is doesn't get enough attention paid to maybe I mean business owners they're task orientated or going through and all of a sudden you know it's uh, I'm 65 okay it's time to check out I'm going to sell my company right and some are able to sell their company because they have either initiated a environment where they're executing on their plan and some may not have an exit strategy I think I read recently, you know, fifty percent of all businesses family, don't sell; they just they just close, right? And you you see that. I mean, Main Street business, but there's businesses you don't see because you're not driving by closing sale, retirement sale, you name it, right? That they just kind of go away. I mean, I've had I had someone come in to visit us last week, a you know, small business, little manufacturing company, but I looked at it and it's like, you know, there's there's no real home for it. I mean what you have here is it's good for you but it's not going to get people excited about it because they don't get it and they're not the skill set to drive this without you. So it would be great to kind of talk a little about because you 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 travel this country. You you're in front of CEO groups. Uh, you do presentations and you're you know you're an actively pursued speaker to talk about these issues around the cultural aspect of running a business. So I'd love to get a little perspective on you, on a situation where, you know, or you were brought into where the owner or ownership group knew that we're missing something, Mm -hmm. but didn't know what it was, didn't know how to address it and had no idea or limited idea. How do I improve this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'll share this as, as maybe an interesting provocative way to think about things. I think for for any leader or leadership team that intends for their organization to outlive their leadership, it's important to always have a mindset of how proud would I be to hand this organization off today? Mm-hmm. How would I feel about it? Is it in the best possible place I imagine it could be that I would be able to walk away from this and feel really good about the condition of things. And there's a, and I can't remember the name of the book, but it really points to some interesting practices of the samurai, and and one of those was the pristine discipline of how you enter into each day, with the mindset of this may be my last day, and would I be proud about how I would exit? And so hygiene and grooming and the and the, all of the physical disciplines were all about a pristine end of life, right? And so it's it's kind of a cool way to think about it, to, to bring in that mindset. If I intend this organization to outlive my leadership, what condition would I be proud to hand it off, right? Um, and it, it's also, I think, important for to recognize that, you know, it's okay also to have it not outlive your leadership. Maybe the season of your organization is the season of your organization, whatever it may be. You know, it's, it's, it's a good discipline to just sort of open up to that conversation And let's just say that that's the position you're taking. I want this organization to outlive me or outlive my leadership, right? Um, And I think it's also important to face that um, that there will come a time in which your attention on the organization will come to a close. (laughs) It's going to happen for every human being in the world. Like your time and attention will cease to be able to put on the things that matter to you. (laughs) So I think it's an important thing Um, is to is to start to really think about okay, well. What's the nature of my organization now? One of the places that I'm always fascinated with and spend a lot of time on is, um, what are the complaints your organization has? Those are where all the treasure is. What are the complaints your organization has um, that are common? What are the complaints you have about your own organization? It always says, oh, well, you we can't change right. this. Or we can't, those, those folks are in, uh, incapable of that, or you know, whatever those complaints are. Um, those are places to start to take a look and say, okay, well, what are the habitual complaints that we have on a regular basis? And are we interested in continuing to have the complaint or do we actually have a commitment to addressing it? Mm -hmm. That opens us up to some interesting territory because those complaints often can point us to where effort would make the biggest difference. One of the perennial complaints that we hear often Uh, is communication. Communication, we're not, you know, we need to fix communication. Like, we treat it like as a problem that needs to be fixed. And um, communication isn't a problem. Communication is a condition that needs to be lovingly cared for all the time. Like, we're never done getting better at communicating with each other. Never done. I mean, think about your relationship you know, with your spouse, right? right. Yeah. What happens when we stop communicating, right? Things fall apart pretty quick, right? Is there a problem that we need to keep putting effort toward communication? No, it's a condition that we need to care for. And the, the more we care for it, the healthier it becomes. So through complaints, we can begin to find where are the areas in our culture that if we thought of as a condition and cared for it more deeply could change things. I'll share a brief story because it's one of my favorites of all time. Um, there, uh, there was a client of ours, a a very large, um, accounting tax and, um, audit organization who was going through the process of really stepping into their potential and they wound up growing the business like 80% year over year in a time when that industry was being heavily commoditized and had a massive sale. It was, it was incredible. Um, but there was this Critical moment where we were conducting what we call a relationship assessment, where gaining the voices of the entire organization and bringing them to the to the board to say, you know, here's the reality of our organization. What are we noticing about the patterns? And there was this complaint that that had come up through that um, assessment, where um, you know, the, say that you know the younger team was complaining to say, hey, I'm a high performer. And I'd be, I'm punished because I'm high performing, meaning because I'm good at what I do, I get more work than everybody else. And everybody who slacks doesn't have to do anything. So I'm working 100 hours. They're working 20. This isn't fair. Right. The, the group around the table immediately like rationalized their way out of even listening to that. They're saying, well, that's just how it is in this industry. You just have to cut, suck it up and just deal with it and so on and so forth. The CEO was at the end of the room, arms folded, looking out the window, quiet, just taking it all in. And he just stopped and he just said, maybe I'm not the right president for this organization because for me, that's not okay anymore. Right. And yeah. it was in that moment, that moment of recognize a complaint that the rest of the team was ready to just talk off the table and say, from now on, we're gonna change things so that those that are high performing aren't being punished for it. And we're gonna take rewarded. these complaints. Yeah. And their organization went from, in that place of commoditization where they were seeing their margins erode like everybody else in that industry to 80% growth year over year, over three years to a point of sale that was like unprecedented in the industry and just happened a few years ago. Incredible. And it was that moment of a leadership shift and in recognition of there's something about the culture here that's not okay anymore. That was the difference maker.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. right? I mean, we're dealing with a seller pool you know could be first second third generation family businesses and the owner tends to be in you know a closed dark room for most of the time right maybe the family gets let in but it's it's uh, it takes a lot to kind of spread that culture downstream to the base of your employees and the ones that can do it like you said earlier, feel good about it's that value proposition that they're trying to create. So when they leave the company, they feel good about not only the culture that they want a buyer and this is really important. I mean, they want that buyer to buy into what they created, right? It's got to fit right. So, and then they have the legacy of their name likely on the door, right? or even if it's not their name, it's recognizes their name that they want. They feel good to walk out the door. Like I, I am a bit, uh, uh, someone that has quietly invested in my community from employees, building out whatever you want to say. And I feel really good about it. And then, you know, of course it's the value proposition of what the, what the price is. So it all kind of, we, we call it the value proposition when we're selling, like what's the price you want? It's like, well, it's not necessarily the price. It's, it's more complex than that owners want it. To, they want to feel good when they, when, and I say, when they go home after they put close the deal and they put their head on the pillow, are they feeling good about it or not? Yeah. And if they're not feeling good about it, it creates regret. And we said, if you don't feel good about it, I mean, I, we've talked, we've, we've had owners that, you know, they've, they've learned a lot. Do we run our auction, but they learned a lot of what the market likes and doesn't like the business. And a lot of it comes down to not financial issues, yeah, right. And so they opens their mind to this massive like marketing study they get in a very short time through an auction process. And some owners will pull back, and we'll tell them to pull back. If you don't feel good about, it, don't do the deal. And then they'll put in a plan, a kind of corrective plan that eventually will make a, a better work environment, but also create more value. We had a client several years ago that. Literally in two and a half year period, we said, don't, let's pull back for various reasons. Two years later, two and a half years later, we sold it for twice as much, yeah. but they were committed to making it work and they felt really good about it. And, but there are, you know, you know, sometimes you get to that age where you don't have that time that, you know, time is precious, right? It's limited. You don't, you know, how am I going to make this work? I'm 71 years old. Right? I don't have the energy, really, truthfully, or the time to make that investment and stay on. So it puts them into that other bucket you're talking about. Yeah. Right?
1: Yep. Yeah. So. There's, you know, it, 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 it,
0: we tend to think
1: in timelines and appropriately so, because history would say, you know, these kinds of things take a lot of time to change, they don't have to. If we put our energy in the right place, it's amazing how quickly things change. Where I see organizations struggle with this is um, they didn't do the job of changing where they're thinking from when they're working on their future. They're thinking from the same place, contemplating their future. And when they do so, all they're doing is replicating what they already are. You have to change where you're thinking from first if you're going to change your future and how I'm thinking about those things. And one of the places in which to change how we think is to recognize that, you know, by default, we understand and have incredibly detailed nuanced understanding language and sophistication around the business systems of organizations, mm-hmm. right? right? Highly mature. That's what MBA programs teach. That's what almost all any continuous improvement, any of those methodologies around bench a uh, uh, proven process to improve business and so on. those are all business systems conversations and what's interesting about the business side of our business is that leadership create, create, uh, cares a great deal about that a great deal and can delude themselves into the fact that they think that anybody else does as well your employees don't care that much about the business systems they care about the human systems and so When we look at that and we take both into consideration, what's the health and well-being of our business systems, right? The performance of this business, you know, its ability to produce results consistently, so on and so forth. That's the conversation that's so obvious that that seems to be where we spend all our time. But this one, what's the health and condition of our human systems, gets neglected. They need each other because we have to remember organizations are nothing more than human systems in service to human needs. And so what that argues for is we should probably be thoughtfully investing in what's the condition and well-being of our human systems. And human systems have to do with what is the experience people are having of this organization, how do they experience us from inside and out? What's it like to be here? What's it like to be in relationship with us? What's the kind of experience we're having? You have to remember, we're spending most of our lives at work. This matters a great deal. Organizations that have really understand and are looking at the relate the the um, virtuous relationship between business system. In human system, those are the organizations that we see consistently outperform the benchmarks of their industry or history. And when a sales event happens, they're the ones that are getting the treasure, unlike others, because they're taking care of both of those things. And you know, so what I would what I would ask any leadership team to consider and to start building a story about now is what is the business case for our organization, and what's the human case for our organization. And if you can build both of those stories and they're very healthy and, and authentic to the state of your organization, you want to talk about a value, right? Like imagine bringing <laughs> that to to a potential buyer oh, group.
0: It's like you know, it's it's like the number one thing that, you know, buyers want to know about. I mean, they, they 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 pay based on historic results. They buy based on growth. And that growth is not just in growing the top line, it's how do I grow the organization? Right, and the, pe- and the people that are there, who will be stay hitched to that wagon, are they the right kind of people? And what a lot of the sellers don't, some of the more sophisticated buyers, they have people, you know, on contract that are psychiatrists, psychologists, that run all these studies in the background on, you know, about this trends, that will uncover some good things and maybe some bad things. That will get the buyer hesitant to like, you know what? I'll give you, we had a, I'll give you an example, right? We had a deal a couple of years ago uh, and a buyer, you know, You know. what's jet transition plan? No family. He brought in, uh, he bought a smaller company, he brought it in. He decided that the owner of that company he acquired who's staying on, I am eight years away. I'm going to be 60. He had a number, right? A lot of guys have a number, women have numbers, right? 60 here. I am going to take this next seven, eight years mm. and I am going to cultivate the transition. That's a pretty long, eight, seven, eight years. I mean, I rarely see that right in our, in our business. We're dealing with, you know, family of companies. So he, over that seven, eight year period, you know, guy was 25% owner, gave him more responsibility. He went and bought a house in Florida so he can go away. So we can tell, Hey, look, he's not here six months out of the year, blah, blah, blah. And this guy was kind of running it. What he what he failed to recognize was that he was focused on him, but he wasn't paying attention to how his people felt about him. And it came up during due diligence. Oh, yeah. And, and that's
1: good due diligence that did have that show up. <laughs> so what,
0: what happened was the buyer walked because who's going to run the business? We don't trust this person and we know that your employees don't trust this person even though he's been there for eight years doing his job sitting in his office you know never really coming out never really engaging and he kind of had the right idea but he kind of missed the plan right so it can happen now we eventually found uh, a different buyer that was, you know, the next buyer that actually had her own operating team and we it, it, it got a successful sale, our clients happy, but it caused a lot of um, tension because he now had a relationship with this person for eight years and recognizing the fact that you're not helping me get to where I want to go to. Yeah. Right. Where if he had engaged with you, your firm, you probably would have picked up that on that relatively early and started working on a plan to kind of cultivate that relationship with either this person or somebody else. So the owner knew, but that's not something that's, it's not uncommon to miss that. Like that second person may not have that. I don't, I won't say skills cause they're talented. They're tacticians. They know exactly what they're doing, but doesn't have that human piece. That you're yeah. talking about.
1: Well, you know, and the, the math is very clear on this. The quality of the listening that is available inside of an organization will reflect the quality of the conversations that organization is having. The higher quality conversations that organizations is having right. will be absolutely mirrored in the quality of the performance of that organization the quality of the relationships inside of that organization and the quality of the experiences people are having, whether inside or outside of that organization. And so w- to the degree in which the listening is available is the same degree in which performance is available. And what I find in organizations that struggle is that their listening is very limited to a handful of people's worldview based on their past experiences and their past knowledge, assuming, and this is where a lot of leaders run the risk of, assuming that um, the world operates based on how they're experiencing it. I find that to be the most dangerous time in an organization's history is when the the listening is collapsed around um, a particular set of individuals' ideas about how things actually are. And then we lose relationship with actually the reality of what's going on in our organizations and recognizing what's actually going on in the world. And that having a variety of experiences on the table as we direct our organizations makes... A huge difference. The average, and there's been a restudy of this. I want to say 10 years ago, the research said the average CEO has access to about 13% of what's actually going on in their organization. The latest research, 9%. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So so it, it means that anyone in a position of leadership that's serious about the future of their organization being create more value in a sales event or otherwise. Um, that it takes real dedicated work to listen your organization so that you understand the truth of it. Because it's going to be exposed whether you like it or not if you're planning on selling. So through a due diligence process, it's going to show up. And so instead of being caught by surprise, what if you were in a constant state of listening your organization in a way where you understand its truth and reality, and you can make adjustments, adjustments accordingly instead of putting our heads in the sand or being in a state of denial or the myopic position of the way i see things and how the world works is the way it works which is a very dangerous place i see a lot of leaders get themselves into
0: and it's an ever changing environment so you can't just say hey i brent came in and did this i'm good to go you can't yep. because people are going to retire people you're going to have millennials you have gen x gen z gen y whatever and they all have different ways how they view things right a ceo today cannot understand the the Gen Z right, they just don't get that my personal space and time is number one. My business life is number two. I come out of like you know you're there six in the morning to ten at night, six days a week, proving yourself. Yeah, and then you reap through words down Button the road. But the chair Not,
1: mentality, right, right, <laughs> yeah, right.
0: That's 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 my environment, and yeah. a lot of the people that are in my peer group kind of share that. But you you put you it has to be an ever evolving process, because the, the human piece is going to constantly change yeah. just out of attrition.
1: Yep. It's like one of my favorite provocations, of course, is today is the slowest we'll ever experience the world for the rest of our lives. It's accelerating at a faster and faster rate. And it's so, crazy. The, you know, it, uh, a good friend of mine put it this way. There was this idea 10 years ago that having the ability to be changeable was a nice muscle to have, and you use it every once in a while, now it is the muscle. Right. Changeability is how business works now. It is not about coming and locking into a place of predictability and staying there. No, it's an ever-changing relationship between the dynamics internally and externally of what's going on in the world, what's going on inside of the organization, because it's it, things are moving so quickly that we can't rest on our laurels at all. And that that's actually a really great place to lead from, if we're willing to accept that. But traditional ways of how we've built businesses in the past had to be you lock into, A mode of operation that you can count on and you stay there doesn't work because the world's moving so quickly that you run the risk of becoming irrelevant overnight, um, based on the dynamics of what
0: we're seeing. Brent, this has been great. Um, You know, uh, I think that you know Brent Robinson Fathom F A T H O M dot net. Correct. Learn more about Brent and his company. I encourage you to go to his website great conversation uh love to have you back uh you know at a future podcast and maybe talk some more dynamics about because we can talk forever about this but uh thank you for being here today uh everybody thank you for being here um my name is keith d president of osage advisors we're a boutique emerging acquisition firm working with families and closely held businesses looking to sell typically five million dollars and up To learn more more about Osage, you can visit our website at osageadvisors.com. You can email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Or feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. If you love our podcast or enjoy it, please feel free to subscribe. Uh, The ins and outs of selling our business. Thanks again for being here today, and have a great day.